Cult filmmaker William Lustig loves movies. What some people don't know about the director slash producer of films like Maniac, the Maniac Cop series, and the blue collar Death Wish ripoff film Vigilante is that he's also a passionate movie buff. Having worked for many years behind the scenes producing some definitive DVD editions of popular horror films with the company Anchor Bay, Lustig wanted more control over what he put out. And so, in the early 2000s, Lustig founded Blue Underground with the intention of putting out all the great films he had seen while exploring New York's famed 42nd Street. While the BU may not put out as many flicks as some bigger companies, they put so much love and care into all of their releases. In the past, Blue Underground has put out definitive editions of a huge portion of Dario Argento's filmography, Dawn of the Dead's first ever Blu-ray release, and a sizable collection of spaghetti westerns. Lately, Blue Underground has been putting out stellar 4K ultra-high-definition releases of catalog titles like Daughters of Darkness, Zombie, Maniac, and Vigilante. On top of that, they have new restorations of The Final Countdown and Lucho Fulci's New York Ripper on the way. You can find Blue Underground at blue-underground.com as well as on all the totes popular social medias. Once again, that's blue-underground.com. And, and I'm that I guess that would make me Jason Muse. I guess so. I don't know. Other than me being fat and you being skinny, I don't really see if there's a whole lot of similarities between us. Uh, I've gotten some weird news this week. Uh, I think I told I told you about it definitely, but I I got a confirmed positive case of COVID nineteen. Yes. So I've been home. Okay, I'm okay. I don't I don't have a sense of smell, which is very weird. You know, like I put some like Vicks vapor rub on my chest and I was like, I don't smell it. It's, wow. it's, 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 and that's a strike. I can if, feel the menthol in my nose, but I can't actually get a scent out of it. If you cannot smell Vicks, then <laughs> that is, that is it's, 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 it's pretty crazy for me. Like I'm like, but that's pretty much the big, like it's, it's been weird. Cause I've just been quoting uh, Dewey Cox lines often. <laughs> I don't have ever once paid for drugs. <laughs> Do you ever just stop and smell the roses? No, because I don't have a fucking sense of smell. <laughs> I've just been quoting Dewey Cox lines uh, like crazy. Um, uh, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that one day when I get my sense of smell back, Amanda will be, uh, um, uh, will just be over there like cheering me on and going, you smell that shit, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a little bit of shortness of breath, but ultimately this is fine. I've had worse colds. Okay. Well, that's so, good. That's good. It's just weird uh, that I can't smell anything. I have taste. All, <laughs> all this to say, wear your masks. Yeah, Stay pretty safe, much. Everybody. Especially if you're in Wisconsin. I am the, the spokesperson for wearing a mask. I'm on a billboard about it. So, like, oh, that's right. I believe in this. I believe in wearing a mask. I'm on a billboard for it. I'm this just stuck. in, billboard advocate Michael Byers comes down with COVID-19. <laughs> I guess it doesn't sound good when you put it. <laughs> I'm honestly like I, the the, be, the being winded thing is like was legit because like I I, I well, just walking up the stairs to come up here to record. I'm like, Ooh. and yes, I know I'm out of shape, but that's not the reason why. <laughs> it's it's worse than the normal like out of. And normally out, I'm just like out of shape winded. This time I'm like. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I, f- I feel like I, I'm I, I get to you oh. know how like in stairs and they 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 
they go in, around a corner and you have like that weird like middle like big stair. Yep. Every time I yep. get to that point, I'm, I always just feel like Homer Simpson is like, okay, I'm gonna make base camp. I'm gonna make base camp here and try for the summit in the morning. <laughs> get a little sleeping bag there, mm-hmm. so you can stop. It. I have That's to hire nice. a Sherpa to help me get up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, how have uh, you been? I've been, I've been weird. <laughs> Um, the, I don't the world know why that was weird. Funny. I've been weird. I've been weird. Um, no, this like, I mean, I guess this will make for a good segue into the episode. But um, all this, all this political stuff has me in a weird place, as it does a lot of us. You know, I'm, I'm. It's the the existential terror is what's unifying at least half of us. <laughs> Well, apparently the other half of us is unified by wanting to burn down our Capitol building. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But anyway. Especially after watching Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I'm like, why do you guys want to burn down this building? Jeff Smith loved that building. Well, that's, I, you know, um, this is the the kickoff of season five. Woo! Season five. So celebrate. Um, and I, I was the one that recommended this movie because I, I was... Um, at home by myself for the day, um, had, had some time. I'm like, I'm going to watch some things and I really needed kind of a, a political pick me up. That's fair. And the only place that I could get that was through film. So I, I watched a double feature of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is what we'll be discussing today. I had never seen it before. And mm-hmm. I believe you had never seen it before either, I right? have not. It's on, it's on both of our shameless. But then I, I double featured it with The American President, which I think Ooh. is a Rob Reiner film. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I do like me some Rob oh. Reiner. Um, and it was exactly what I needed to like, kind of find that happy, glowing core of of political pride um that that i needed to kind of get me through <laughs> the rest of the week um so yeah that, that's how i've been <laughs> makes sense no like it, and it's i'm guess i'm ultimately glad that you were able to find something to keep you going you know, if that makes sense like uh, yeah, no, that, it, it, it's been tough i feel like we all woke up that morning and it just something felt off um yeah well that's that's one of the magic things of storytelling and film is it's both escapist but then you can also find um the the better angels of us in there you know what what we can strive to be yeah, it, it's it, it can present you with an ideal to to strive for. That I get. Warning: This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements: endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our and feature presentation, presenting The Shameless Picture Show. The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, 
is a man who can quote George Washington from memory. Nick Richards. That is a direct quote, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> On today's George Washington said yeah, it once. I, I imagine he he went around all the time being like, I'm Nick Richards. Nick Richards. Nick Richards. Nick Richards. Nick Richards. <laughs> On today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we wanted to do something that feels relevant in our current political climate. We want to discuss a film that may just help put our faith back in democracy and give us hope for a better future. I said hope a lot in this sentence. Today, we're discussing Frank Capra's controversial yet beloved Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Jefferson Smith is a naive yet good-hearted man from a small town, and he's best known by the local kids as the operator of the Boy Rangers, a Boy Scouts-esque club where local kids have a place to learn how to hunt, fish, and respect nature. Smith's world gets turned upside down when a local senator passes away and he's brought in to fill the vacant seat. Another local senator, Joseph Payne, thinks Jeff Smith is perfect. He's young, idealistic, loves America, and most importantly, he's easy to control and has no political experience. However, Jefferson Smith is more than everyone bargained for when his plans for a boys' camp collides with a nefarious plan that shows how corrupt members of the U.S. government are. Based on the book The Gentleman from Montana by Lewis R. Foster, Frank Capra had originally planned to cast Gary Cooper and make the film a sequel to his hit film Mr. D. Ghost Town. However, Cooper was unavailable and felt that this could be a launching pad for a young James Stewart. He had that young, idealistic look that Capra was looking for. While the film was popular, it was attacked by the Washington press for being un-American and pro-communist. However, the film is now considered to be one of Capra's greatest films and was selected by the Library of Congress as one of the first 23 films for preservation in the United States National Film Registry in 1989 for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. The film, as mentioned, is based on a book by Lewis R. Foster, but was written by Sidney uh, Buckman, with cinematography by Joseph Walker, and music by Dimitri Tiomkin. Tiomkin. Uh, <laughs> it stars James Stewart, Gene Arthur, Edward Arnold, Guy Kibbe, Thomas Mitchell, and Claude Rains as Senator Joseph Payne. From 1939, directed by Frank Capra, this is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. The gentleman will raise his right hand. Do you solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which you are about to enter? So help you God. So help you God. I do. I know Jefferson Smith, and I will personally vouch for him. There's been a big mistake. Why don't you tell the people the truth for a change? You're not a senator. You're an honorary stooge. This country is bigger than the tailors, or you, or me, or anything else. Great principles don't get lost once they come to light. They're right here. You just have to see them. Somebody will listen to me. Well, damn, and that was an intense modern trailer. <laughs> we, yeah, we should say that is a, a modern trailer. <laughs> no, Frank Capra cut a, that back in 1939. Right. <laughs> <It> was, oh. <laughs> 
Um, it yeah. reminded me. I, we had the choice as, between as, doing a modern trailer or doing the original trailer. And sometimes we have found, because we're thinking about the audio version of this show as well, or sometimes old trailers, since they do so much through text and have no narration, they're not very sonically pleasing. So we thought we'd roll the <laughs> dice and play that really intense modern trailer. I had forgotten, as is typically the case, I take far fewer notes when I'm watching something for the first time so that I can engage with it a little more directly. Uh-huh. Um, so I had forgotten the sequence where Jimmy Stewart runs around just slugging everyone that he oh comes across. God, that was because, fantastic. <laughs> because they twisted his words in the press. And I think in hindsight, those were all... He was going around and seeing the reporters that he knew were in that, like, Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's who they uh, were. Where, at first, I thought he was just running around slugging people because he was halting out. At first, I thought that was, like, a dream. But then it just, it, it kept, like, I imagine that was just him imagining what he would do. But then, like, he ran into, like, Diz and the rest of them, and he's like, oh, no, this is real. This is, this yeah, is, no, this he is, is actually... actually happening. And that was, uh, <laughs> I need beautiful. it in my notes. In my notes, I actually have it written: uh, Jefferson Smith Punch Fest. <laughs> because because we needed to. We needed to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was definitely one of my favorite moments uh, from the film. But um, was the Punch Fest your Thrill House moment? This is great, and all I've done is enter my name, Thrill House. It definitely was, I do have to say. Um, uh, out of all the moments in the film, um, I, I would say I was definitely invested a little earlier than that, but that was like the lock-in for me. And it's like, oh, <laughs> this is the type of person that Jeff Smith... Actually, I would say like it's a, it's a, it's a tie between that and... The sequence where he's like talking to all the reporters and he's showing all his different animal noises he can do and and then like the the very next scene where they're sh- ah. yeah where they're showing like like you know this is what he thinks of America and all this other shit and like all and then like they're, the fact that they're also like portraying him as being like this ho dunk guy and you know it's all this craziness I'm like oh I'm invested now and then yeah. he just started punching everyone it's like, yes punch <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was my um, thrill house moment. Right, right around there, I think when um, he started working on the the boys camp bill, yeah, uh, was was my thrill house moment. That was when I really it, the I, and I kind of warned you of this because I watched it first. Yeah. Um, the first act of this film is a little sluggish. Yeah, it, there's a lot of procedural setup. Mm-hmm. That you kind of need for the payoff in the end, yeah. Um, it, it just and I think it works given that Jimmy Stewart's character is kind of our gateway. Like you have that person that doesn't really know how any of this works, yeah. Um, so we're able once he becomes more actively involved, like that's where we start to understand what's going on. Exactly, it starts to get spoon fed to us a it, little bit. It, it takes a little bit to get going. And a big part of the reason is they just because they kind of have to throw you into this world, um, this political world, and it all is started with this with the first senator dying, and it's kind of interesting. Like I would say, we're ten, maybe fifteen minutes in before we actually see J- Jimmy Stewart. Like right. he's mentioned, and even then, 
where we're like he's not really saying much he's yeah he is that stew that silent stew yes um first. and it's it's just the pacing of it is very is very unique and it's very of its time like if you were to remake this film now i feel like there would probably be in there probably be different ways that you can go about portraying all the information that we have in the beginning um in a different way oh, but one thing i did notice that's kind of interesting is this film doesn't have a true perspective in that we're not really following jefferson smith it's not like it's his story but i wouldn't say we are seeing the world through his eyes because we're definitely I, privy to things that he's not um we're not yeah. really um following it through saunders perspective though she is the most knowledgeable about everything going on which was right. pretty progressive at the time as well yeah um um i think emma when, when she was watching it with us said it best the film's kind of got an omnipresent um perspective where yeah we're kind of floating all throughout the film and there's a lot of things that they aren't showing us you know um there's a lot of done, done through exposition instead of like you know, because they have the whole thing where Susan Payne was supposed to take uh, Jeff Smith to get new clothes and everything, so that way he's away from Senate for that day. Right. We don't and see Senate. We don't right. see anything that happens. We hear right. about it all after the fact. Or when um, Jeff is is uh, arguing with jo Joseph Payne, and uh, right as they have start having their argument, the character walks out of the room, closes the door, and calls... Um, you know the rich guy Taylor, and we don't actually hear what the argument's about. We can infer a lot of it, right. so it's just a very in, in unique structure. And I've noticed that about the couple. I'm no expert into the work of Frank Capra, but you know you see a lot of the same unique structural choices in something like It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Well, and I think for for the case of Mr. Smith goes to Washington, that. Um, resembles the us as outsiders our understanding of of the capitol and the senate and how those mm -hmm. things operate it does happen a lot behind closed doors and again as as uh, is it jeff smith mm -hmm. is that his first name jeff jefferson uh jefferson jeff hey. <laughs> Uh, as he starts to learn little bits about how the Senate actually operates, that's when we get to see how all of these things happen. Uh -huh. So um, I think as the film goes on, it starts to become Jeff Smith's perspective. But that is definitely not true for the first act and is only mildly true for the second act. Yeah. So it, it's something that develops over the course of the film yeah and i would say like it's kind of crazy how little i knew about this film i knew nothing yeah i knew nothing about I, it I knew, I knew the title and and we knew the simpsons spoof scene yeah like i knew the title and the title like i would say like i'm just not a big fan of the title like i just feel like it sounds way more i don't know it, i feel like it gives just the wrong perspective of what i think the film's actually about yeah it's um, very distinctive like yeah. you don't forget that film title no no and it's better than like if they chose something like dry and procedural like executive order or some shit like that <laughs> dun dun but yes i knew the simpsons spoof scene which is pretty much the only thing i knew about this film here comes two well i'm not licked and i'm gonna stay right here and fight for this lost cause somebody will listen to me Somebody who... 
I believe the senator has yielded the floor. <laughs> Yield this, Senator Payne. I move we impose some serious term limits. I second that motion with a vengeance. All in favor? Say die. <laughs> Mr. Smith, this is highly unorthodox. I'm the President of the United States, and I demand to know what's going on here. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Given recent events, we probably should have given a trigger warning before we uh, played. Probably, that. I didn't think of that. That was pretty. That was pretty graphic, even for The Simpsons. <laughs> you changed the, the like, ending with the uh, all of the Simpsons predicted the future stuff. You could throw that right up in there. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's all I knew about the film, but ultimately, you know. It's pretty, you know, up until the until, until they started blasting, it was a pretty accurate portrayal of it. And, and I didn't understand the kids coming in. At no, the end. I also didn't I, get um, the lost causes line. Yeah. So so much more of that scene makes sense now. Um, I want someone to do a, a cut of the, a cut of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington where everything's exactly the same up until Jeff falls over, and then they just insert that. <laughs> This is the this is the the new ending. <laughs> you changed the ending. I am the president of the United States. <laughs> so Nick, we we've kind of gone about this episode in a weird way, which is great because we don't ever do anything in the same way uh, twice on this show. <laughs> what did you think of Mister Smith Goes to Washington? I I it was the <clears throat> the salve that I needed. Um, I yeah. In in right in your intro, I wasn't aware of the controversy behind it, and with what kind of little you dove into it, it kind of makes sense. But there's, yeah, they they were trying right. to ban the film because they thought it would give not only the U.S. government a bad look, but they thought it would come down on Hollywood, and they thought that because at the time no movie had really shown the corrupt side of the US government and in the grand scheme of things compared to the current world it's awfully tame um yeah. <clears throat> but they thought it was it was hollywood going down a dark path of you know uh, what's going to create distrust for the government and i actually think it did the opposite for me you know sure, right, think like, like oh shit there are good people out there Right, which is deep fake Bernie Sanders face over Jeff Smith, especially when he's knocking people out. From <laughs> take this, you one percent bastard. Um, there, yes, I in viewing the film from today's uh, political climate, the the perhaps naive idealism 
of Jeff Smith, his patriotism, not to be confused with nationalism, Mm -hmm. his patriotism is inspiring. Yeah. And that is what we want in politics. That's that's what I want to see in politics. I want people that love the country and do what's right for the country. And it seems like so few people are doing that. And why is that so hard? And mm-hmm. why is the love for power and money, political influence, ruling the day? And, and we're mm-hmm. at this this moment where all of those things where people may be made uh that sold little bits of their integrity in order for a little more control and built up and built up and built up and now we're at this critical mass of mm-hmm. people that made really poor decisions in the name of trying to get their agenda through that they believe in has really come back to bite them in the ass Mm-hmm. And that, like this film, is I think we, you know, the dust off the phrase that we use, ripe for rediscovery, mm-hmm. because of what it says about idealism versus corrupt politics, and it's it it is so perfect for for this moment. Yeah, and it's funny, like so I I feel very similar to how you do, and it's it's. It's one of those uh, cases for me when it comes to film that I think it's a great film. I don't know how often I'm going to go back to it. <laughs> it's not necessarily a film that, like, you know, like, oh, I just, let me put on Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, like, a comfy blanket. Like, it just, it just, it just right. doesn't feel like the Like, it's a film that I think is important that I think everyone should see. And maybe even revisit once or twice a couple times in your life. Um, and... What I think is crazy to me is if I would have seen this movie maybe like, let's say, 10 years ago, you know, in in my 20s, I would have thought, oh, wow, this movie seems highly unbelievable that a man with no experience, (laughs) no training can get uh, the vote to to join any sort of any sort of political party, you know, join the Senate. How wrong would I be? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nowadays this movie does not seem so far-fetched but what does seem far-fetched is that a man that is so idealistic can get anything done sure like it, it almost feels like this is this is this is the way that frank capra wants to see the world but i just i, I have a feeling that like corruption and the the doings of evil people would suppressed down this this man and we don't get to see what happens after this film joseph payne thankfully had some sort had a good heart in the end yeah sort of uh and confessed to everything going on he believed in what jefferson smith was saying but we don't know what happened to jefferson smith we don't know if any of this actually worked out for him you know if you think about like all the power that the the weed bad guy what was his name uh jim taylor taylor that he had you know he was he was buying up the newspapers um he was he forged all you get the feeling that he forged all those notes in the end yeah yeah um hell he was he had a hit gang going after children and running them Mm -hmm. off the road you know if he wants that dam built so he can control the water supply it's gonna happen 
And it's, it's, you know, Jeff Smith stood there for 24 hours advocating for what he thinks is right and less to do with the boys camp and more to do that this is just fucking wrong. And he passed out on the Senate floor. And while Joseph Payne came out and admitted to what they were doing, it doesn't mean that that camp was ever built, that that dam wasn't built. It's kind of actually... One thing that I've read a lot about was about the work of Frank Capra is how pessimistic he can be in some of his films, and this was one of the turning points. Um, one of the things that I remember reading about the, uh, about the way he constructs his world and constructs it's it's very rare that the bad guys ever get their comeuppance because that's not how the world works. If you think about It's a Wonderful Life, Potter is still going to be a fucking bad, evil person yep. and is still yep. going to uh, be a slumlord. He, no matter what. He just didn't get George Bailey or the yes. building alone. And, and I think that's... Like, he lost a small battle. Yeah, and like, you know, Jeff, he, he, he wasn't able to corrupt Jefferson Smith, but he's going to still go out and be doing what he's doing, and we don't know how this movie actually ends. We don't have that resolution. We, I think we don't have... I, this goes back to kind of what you were saying about, like, we don't know whose perspective it's from. Yeah. Because we, it feels resolved at the end, but Jefferson Smith's story isn't necessarily resolved. Yeah. Or, or Taylor's antagonist story isn't resolved. I think the story is not necessarily about Jefferson Smith. As much as it is about, like uh, the the protagonist is more uh, the the uh, patriotic idealism, yeah. And I think that wins at the end. That's the that that's the 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 small insignificant person with political idealism wins the day on this specific battle. Yeah, yeah, um, and. The, I think maybe perhaps if it's more about Jefferson Davis from the beginning, then maybe it doesn't feel as complete because we don't get, because Taylor doesn't get his comeuppance because of all this, but we don't really need to see that when the point of the story is just that, um, uh, un, unsquashable faith and idealism can win these battles. And I think, again, that, like, I think that's true in our political climate. I think that's the lesson for right now, and we can see that happening. Did if, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that most of our listeners are uh, <laughs> politically leaning more towards us, so um, I may be excluding people. Um, yeah. But if you take the assumption that, that Trump is the tailor, of this film, right? Yeah. That the that the wall is his dam, or or the Muslim ban is his dam. You know this this thing he's trying to push through. Even though he had gotten he had he had corrupted the system, and there's take Mitch McConnell, who you know most of the Republicans in power. When Trump first started running, they're like, this guy's a dipshit. This guy, he is not going, like, we do not, he does not represent Republican values. And then as soon as he won, 
they're like, well, we need to still get stuff done, so we're going to fall in line yeah. and do what this guy says. And now now that everything's falling apart, they're like, boy, gee whiz, I, I don't agree with what he's doing. It's They sold out yeah. their Republican ideals for power. And because of small lots of small acts of political idealism, we did stop a lot of what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And now the tide has finally turned. So I think there is... Uh, a a lesson there. I think that that lesson we can see in action today. Yeah. And actually, one thing I was thinking of, too, when you were talking just now was in its own weird way, and it's not a direct correlation, it almost feels like the film is talking about how important your vote is. So while George Bailey, or not George Bailey, um, Jefferson <laughs> Smith was not, he he wasn't voted into that Senate seat. Um, that he was he was essentially chosen, but he was he was the, he was not their first choice. Um, yeah. the um, what's the guy's name? Um, the the other the governor Happy Hopper Hubert Happy Hopper. Wow, that's a fucking name. Um, he listened to his children, and you know who were really hot on him, and pretty much said, "Well, you know what? Let's see what this guy can do for us." And while he was chosen for the wrong reasons. You know, the he essentially had the popular vote, not only amongst the children, but amongst everyone else. And he yeah, came they, into... They said multiple times, like, there's the children, but then each of those children have two parents. Yeah, he came... That are voters. He, I love how much this movie showed that apparently kids back in 1939 were <laughs> apeshit for politics. Because <laughs> um, they're all, like, super, not only just the page boys, but, like, everyone was like, yeah, I like Jefferson, he should be your senator. Nah, 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 nah. They all t- they all talk like they're about to beat me up and take my lunch money, which I loved. Um, but I, th- I think this <laughs> got so reminiscent for high school. Yeah, I feel like that. This is what that's what the film, in its own way, is saying: is the power of of, of of voting and getting good people into these spots, and not just giving up and say, "Well, it's corrupt anyways. Let it just be right. corrupt." Right. You know how one person, in their own way, can try to make a difference and can stand there for twenty three hours. Just because he believes in something, you you don't have to take down the entire per- corrupt political system in order to make a difference mm-hmm. and 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 shape the world a little bit better. You know. Mm-hmm. So when you get the opportunity, vote. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself to the best of your ability. Stay uh, like. <laughs> oh <laughs> heck, I, Jeff! It's a briefcase. <laughs> Um, I I'm trying to keep this episode about the film and not just. I know that's why I derailed news. you just there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, easy, let's bring him back. In. No, no, I do. I, I, so I do want to say I'm not derailing it because I don't agree with him at all. Yeah, I just uh, I I know how we are tangential enough. But no, seriously, go out there and vote. Do what you can. Um, and let's try to make some good in this world. And I'm, I've never been the type of person to say one side is evil and one side is bad. But there's definitely an evil man that we got rid of. So, yeah, yes. Um, but yes, I, um, I agree. And that's what I think the film is realistically about. And uh, I, I think that's even shown by. The coin flip scene where he's like, well, if I get this line, I'm going oh with this guy, God, this that's... guy. And then it ends up landing right there. And it just shows that, like, 
okay, I can't, you know, you can't just let fate decide these things. And while he, 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 he ended up choosing Jeff Smith just because his name was on a paper, but he was like, fuck, well, everyone likes this guy. His name is in the paper. I got booed when I voted for the when I chose the other guy. Let's let's go with this. Like, you know, there, there's still saw it some, as a way out. He's still there's he, you know he's not letting he's not letting Jesus take the wheel necessarily. <laughs> he's still making a decision one way or another. And yeah, I, I feel but like it's all the first act of the film is all political maneuvering. Yeah. Um, and it's also funny to me to me too that like Joseph Payne has so little invested in jefferson smith that he was like yeah just go make a bill do whatever and because he doesn't care so much he could have probably tried to shoot down that bill very early on but he just let him go and do his thing and brought to the table and i absolutely love the character of clarissa sanders saunders in this film yes Um, because i love that not only is she in all intents and purposes the smartest character in the movie she knows what's going on uh, you get the feeling that she's been doing this job for a while, and while her her title is probably something really rudimentary and dumb, like like secretary or something, she, you get the feeling that she was running this campaign. She was running this this office with the old guy too, because the guy passed away. Because she was saying, you know, I I did this the same job forever with this other guy, and I'm just done with this. Yeah, she was burned out. She was probably an idealist. Mm-hmm. Um, who got tired of not being able to make a difference. And the same is true. Like, the the foil to her character is um, the one that was friends with Jeff Smith's father. Um, Payne. Payne. Um, who was a an idealist with integrity, who, you know, where Saunders stuck with her integrity and burned out, he made... He sold little bits of it away to try and still make a difference and then ended up selling off his soul piece by piece until mm-hmm. he was part of the problem. But like, and I think those two characters as foils of each other is is a perfect setup for the for the entry of of Jefferson Smith. Yeah, and like I absolutely love the scene where like Jefferson's like, oh, we're going to write this bill tonight. And, you know, and she's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, it's gonna well, be... just, just tell me what we got to do. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> how, how's this um, work? And remind me, I want to talk a little bit about James Stewart's performance in this film. Try to remind okay. me of that. But what I loved about that scene was not, she's like, okay, this is fucking dumb, but we're going to do it. <laughs> and then when they get to the point where he's okay, like, tough guy. he gives this big, like, you know, I want to create a boys camp. Um, and he's like, I want to do it at this at Willow Crick. And she's like, Wait, where? And he's like, Oh, have <laughs> you ever have you ever heard, have you ever heard of Willow Creek? And you know, since she's been the underlying party for this this office for so long, she knows what's going on. And I absolutely mm-hmm. love that scene where she's like, Have you talked to Payne about this? He's like, Oh no, but he's gonna back me up whatever I do. And he goes to set it, and he. And he tells his plan, and I love that she's next to Diz being like, watch, yeah, watch there, this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch, and just, then, like, as soon as he mentions where it's at, like, all the people who stand up and scurry out. And and it's like, oh, she she's watching the chessboard, and she knows every move before it's happening. Yep. yep. And she doesn't want to tell him because well, she probably views it as having no point. Yeah, like she probably doesn't think it's gonna it's gonna get very far, and that he's gonna get shoved out of this. But like, I just love that scene because it's like it shows how much she knows. She yeah. knows everything that's going on. Yeah, and I love you know 
obviously, uh, as I've said before, I love It's a Wonderful Life. So seeing so much, like Ma Bailey Mm -hmm. is in the film and, and is it Dez? Yeah. Diz, uh, that was his Diz, brother, isn't it? Or his, his, uh, uncle? his uncle. So his dad's brother. Very different character um, in this because he's so yeah. like confident and sure. He's so <laughs> fucking funny in this movie. Whereas, yes. like, he's kind of a loser in this wonderful life. But I just love that, like, he's just chilling back, smoking a cigarette on the couch. And he's like, oh, every time I think of exercise, I have to lay down to the feeling passes. And he's just, I don't know, he's actually kind of a cool character in his right, own way. Yeah. And I just love We should get married. Yeah, okay. Then there's no reason for me to to, to not drink. Yeah, and my favorite part is when she when they're both drunk and they go back to uh, uh, Jefferson's <laughs> office. And she's like, I'm getting married. And he goes, it's me. <laughs> And he's not, it's just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Like, and you just get the idea that they've been friends for so long that they can have these, these conversations and it's yes. not, he doesn't come off like a ducky character, like in Pretty in Pink, where he's like obsessed with her and just be like, no. ah, let's, nope. you know, he keeps, he keeps offering knowing that she's going to say no, but you never feel like he's like this pathetic, like puppy dog be like, oh, I love you so much. It's like, how about right. we get married? Well, e- even when, so they're, they're going to get married and he kind of realizes the next day that she has feelings for Jefferson mm-hmm. Smith. He's not he's not butthurt about it. He's no. not like he's just like, yeah, okay. Well, that that was just a drunken night. That's no big deal. Like it didn't really impact him. Or at like all. the and note near the end to- where she says Diz says I Diz thinks I'm in love with you. And it's like even <laughs> Diz notices this. Yep. And he's drunk through half the Yes. He's right. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I loved I loved that trifecta of character. I love the the way that uh, Saunders and Jeff Smith their their relationship. I love Diz and Saunders and just kind of like all of that. And I also so like a, uh, a friend of mine on Letterboxd was saying that um, she had an annoyance that um, there that um, Jeff Smith and Saunders their relationship was never defined and. You know they, they they never really had their scene where they their big swoop swooping love scene, but ultimately I'm actually really okay with that because I feel like with the way that cop that Capra directed a lot of these scenes, you saw that she was falling in love with him throughout yeah. the film. We I don't feel like I needed that scene of being like I love you, I love you too. You know I feel like I got it. Just and and that's actually a way that uh, Capra directs a lot of scenes, and um, I think Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis they kind of stole that when they made Romance in the Stone, where they're like, well, and we need how do you show two characters falling in love? And it's like, well, let's do what Capra did. So often, when you have a character doing something that's very confident and assured, who makes them who they are, and just the other person just watching in wonder. Like, that's all yeah. you need. And, you know, I can, you know, you you get, I get that she was falling in love with him. I didn't need a scene to, as on the nose as this film was, I appreciate how subtle it could be. Yeah. Well, I I think all of that took a backseat to the, to the political storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, as you were describing the, their kind of trio of characters, I, came to realize that Saunders and that uh Diz. I keep forgetting his name Diz, Diz to a certain extent uh use him as a pawn too as this political pawn like she, because she doesn't try and stop him because once she hears about that she kind of 
is like, okay, let's let's do this. But she gets a little more invested in mm-hmm. making that bill happen. Yeah. She is using him to win this idealistic fight that she has as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it just so happens that her and him are more on the same side <laughs> than he is with the other people that are trying to use him in this political chess game. Um, but she doesn't inform him so that he can make the decision on it. Yeah. You know, she, she uses him too. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately like I, we, I mentioned earlier that I feel like this film gave me hope for politicians that there's people out there that legitimately do care. And normally I'm not going to lie when people are overly patriotic, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit because it feels so false. I feel like a lot of people base their personality around loving this country and right in a very foolish way. And I'm not saying all people, but I just I feel like there's some people who are like, oh, this is the greatest country in the planet. And I feel like they spout these things because that's what they hear. But you don't know if they actually believe it because sometimes you don't feel like some people have a thought outside of what they've heard. Right. Um, I get this feeling that Jefferson Smith means it. And right. um, I'm going to play a clip that you sent me, that liberty is too precious a thing. Um, yeah. Because... And sorry. Before you play that, I want to read one quote that I heard recently that I think speaks to what you're describing. And it's a quote by Sidney J. Harris. The difference between patriotism and nationalism is that the patriot is proud of what his country is proud of his country for what it does. The nationalist is proud of his country no matter what it does. The first attitude creates a feeling of responsibility. The second, a feeling of blind arrogance that leads to war. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with that. And I, and I just feel like watching Jeff Smith talk about the United States, I can get this feeling of why some people love it. That's what's got to be in it. What? The Capitol Dome. On paper? I want to make that come to life for every boy in this land. Yes, and all light it up like that, too. You see, you see, boys forget what their country means by just reading the land of the free in history books. When they get to be men, they forget even more. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. Boys ought to grow up remembering that. And and that, that steering committee or whatever it is, they've got to see it like that. And I know Senator Payne will do all he can to help me because... He's a wonderful man, isn't he, Saunders? You know, he knew my father very well. He did? Yeah. Yeah, we need a lot more like him. His kind of character, his ideals. Um, let's get on with this, hmm? Oh, yes. All right. This camp is going to be out in your state. About 200 of the most beautiful acres that ever were. You've never been out in that country, have you, Miss Saunders? No. I've been over every single foot of it. You could have no idea. You just have to see it for yourself. Yeah, that that's... Um... There's some idealism there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I'm you tra- you wanted to speak to um, 
James Stewart's acting in this. Yes. And now that we just saw a clip, I think now's a good time. So, I feel like people sometimes forget how good of an actor Jimmy Stewart was. And a lot of this comes down to context and comes down to time period. Because yeah, very, it, it was a different style yeah, of acting. So it's very easy then. to look at actors from back in the day and be like, well, this is hokey. And even looking right. at someone like James Stewart, who is extremely naturalistic as being hokey. And it's just, you have to think about what acting was like at the time. If you compare acting then to acting now, yeah, everything's going to seem kind of jarring and weird. Um, and actually, I noticed a lot of Nicolas Cage in... in James Stewart. And I don't mean that in a, in a condescending or mean way. I also just watched Con Air again recently, which is absolutely ridiculous. So now I'm imagining, well, I guess I'm going to have to go save the fucking day with this terrible Alabama accent. But what I, what I love so much about both of those actors is when they're at their best, very few people can touch them. And what I, what I sometimes you, you watch older movies, especially from 1939, where things feel so rehearsed and so theatrical. Um, theatrical, yeah. Jamie, Jimmy Stewart always—he never—he always felt very natural. Never felt like he allowed himself to stutter. He allowed himself to to have long pauses, to look unkempt, and yeah. And I think that's one thing that uh, I, I especially noticed in this film, where he made it seem like anyone can go and be an actor. And I feel like, and and I and. He definitely has his own unusual cadences, his own unusual way of talking, but I never, it was rare that I was like, I'm watching James Stewart play a character. I, I honestly believed that he was this person, and um, yeah, I just, I was re-watching him, it's like, he was doing so much stuff before its time, and was doing things very differently than anyone else at the time, that I just don't feel like he gets the credit because he did have a little bit more of a nasalier voice he had a very unusual way of talking and yeah i don't know i was just thinking about that and I, I was transfixed watching him i i think he works really well in these kind of roles because more so than most actors i watching him I am convinced that he believes every word that he says. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, it, you know, it's that, not like there's some actors you can watch. Even if they're doing a good performance, you watch them and just feel like, oh, you're you're hitting your lines and you're doing them well. And, yeah. you know. Bringing some authenticity and truth to the role. But he, he delivers those lines with such earnest mm-hmm. that... It's it's hard to not be convinced by him. Yeah, <laughs> he's he he like he convincingly plays great orators, even if the character isn't a particularly great orator. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that since um, Paramount just released a new 4K restoration of this film, and I watched that, and it's the best. I've seen clips of this movie, you know, so I, I have something to compare it to. It's the best I think this film's ever going to look. I can't, uh, especially because they went back to the original Nitrate film and scanned that. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I just, 
I, I'm hoping, like you said, this film was ripe for rediscovery. It, like I said, I don't think for at least for me, it's ever going to be like that feel good movie. But it's it's such a, a good, well made film that I'm hoping that it inspires people to care a little bit more. Oh, and like, I, I even it for myself. I didn't care about things like this for the, a very long time. Yeah. While, like you, I don't think I would ever put this movie on to just, like, hang out and watch a movie, I could see myself returning to this film in another politically dark moment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, whenever whenever the pendulum swings back and things get really dark politically, I would put this on to to kind of remind me that there is integrity in politics somewhere and that there there are... Small fights being won every day. 100%. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, another uh, one that uh, touched all of us who were news people, of course, because the uh, scene was so familiar to us uh, in uh, the, the Capitol. But it had uh, a great uh, impact in the nation, again, in bringing the workings of the Senate to the knowledge of a great number of persons who had no concept at all what the Senate Hall looked like or uh, how the desks were arranged or how senators rose to speak. It was a very educational movie uh, in that regard, as as movies are highly educational when they deal with uh, real-life subjects of that kind and even historical subjects. Now, of course, this was an extraordinary situation, a filibuster that ran as long as this and brought the hero to his knees practically and fainting and his voice giving out. That was a over-dramatization. We haven't had any such scenes, I don't think, in the Senate, certainly not many, many years. The educational value of, of the Senate at work uh, was most important. It, uh, I think, probably led a lot of people to read uh, about stories that were happening in the Senate, perhaps getting interested even in the news that was coming out of the Senate uh, to a degree they wouldn't have uh, before. Whether that stuck or not very long, I can't testify to. But at least it was uh, an educational moment. And that was Walter Cronkite talking about why he loves... Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and I think he's he's right. You know, I think it, I I wouldn't be surprised if when people see this film, it doesn't interest or it does interest them to know more about what's going on in the world. Because I, I admit I don't know a whole lot about. I had to look up what a filibuster was, and uh, it, there actually there are discussions about getting rid of the filibuster because it has changed so much since the time of this film where you don't have to actually hold the Senate floor and talk and stand continually. Now you can basically just say, yeah, I filibuster. And then like it changes vote counts and things. Um, and has historically, it, this is my limited understanding of it, that the filibuster has historically benefited mostly um, mm-hmm. uh, like Jim Crow, slave state yeah. uh, type agendas. Um, so there's a lot of talk of getting rid of it, and and it's a very complicated issue. Um, I I love um, last week tonight, and he does John John Oliver does a great episode on the filibuster, where of course they play clips from Mr. Smith goes to Washington, um, 
and and discuss kind of the pros and cons of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, in in addition to I I posted just the other day about how all of this political unrest has educated me a lot about the workings of Congress in ways that I had never known before and wasn't motivated to know. Now it yeah. feels more important and I'm and I'm tuning in and I'm learning. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington also. You know, again, I have to kind of acknowledge that it's from an earlier time, but it did give me some insight into the workings of, of this important political body. I agree. Um, so before we wrap up and I talk about one of the things I have to, I reviewed for one of our sponsors was Nick, was there anything else you wanted to discuss about Mr. Smith goes to Washington? No. Um, I, again, I, I would recommend watching it now. Yeah. Uh, no matter where exactly you fall on the political spectrum, I think there is something to learn from this film. There is truth in this film that, um, will help. And honestly, that's one thing I think the film did very well is gun to your head. I don't think anyone could tell you what political party Jefferson Smith was on or what political party Thomas uh, uh, Joe Payne was on. But it doesn't right? matter. It, right. It's it is not pushing a agenda, uh, a, a partisan agenda. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's a film that everyone should go and see. So, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is, I would just say, shameless picture show approved. Yeah. If, if that, and that's even a thing that we do now. <laughs> is it? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's streaming free on a platform right now. Yeah, it's it? Amazon Prime. It is streaming Amazon on Amazon Prime, Prime through IMDb TV, if you're familiar. Okay. IMDb now has their own streaming platform that they go through Amazon. So, through IMDb TV, you can watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington for free, and I recommend right. you do it. Or pick up the new 4K Blu-ray of the film, because it looks yeah. phenomenal. Stand from the original Nitrate film, I've I yeah. come to understand. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So, that's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And then... So funny enough, I decided to watch this the film. I'm going to be talking about another film here that, uh, from uh, a sponsor that we I've reviewed a couple things, only handful of things from called Blue Underground. They were formed by a filmmaker by the name of William Lustig, best known for the film Maniac and then the the, the three Maniac Cop films. Um, uh, 2090 foreign blue underground. They are kind of like the criterion of exploitation films, <laughs> um, where they put out hot new high level restorations of cult films. Like they, for the longest time, the only way you could see any Dario Argento's films were through them and a lot of Lucio Fulci stuff. And William Lustig, who was a filmmaker, put out one of his own films. Uh, he, well, he puts out all of his own films. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned this because this was a very weird, I decided to watch this, uh, and was not an intentional choice. Watched the day that the Capitol was stormed, <laughs> and it is a it is a film from 1983 called Vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you did this. <laughs> well, technically, it, it it all happened when I watched it, and I was like, <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, I want something to watch, and this came in the mail, and I was like, I've never seen this movie. Fuck it, I'll watch this. Let's take matters into our own hands. <laughs> I imagine the the announcer will talk like this. Ah. But anyways, the back of the box says, the tagline, there's only one way to stop them. <laughs> uh, 
Um, New York City factory worker Eddie Marino, played by Robert Forster, um, is a solid citizen and a regular guy until the day a sadistic street gang brutally assaults his wife and murders his child. But when a corrupt judge sets when a corrupt judge sets the thugs free, Eddie goes berserk and vows revenge. Now there's a new breed of marauder loose on city streets enforcing his own kind of law. His justice is swift. His methods are violent. He is the vigilante. Fred Williamson, uh, Richard Bright, Rutunia Alda, and Carol Lindley, and, oh, Woody Strode, and Joe, Joe Spinell, and salsa legend Willie Colon co-star in this hard-hitting exploitation classic from director William Lustig that many critics consider to be the better and more shocking than the original Death Wish. Now Blue Underground is thrilled to present Vigilante in a pristine new restoration scanned in 4K 16-bit color from the original 35mm camera negative with Dolby Vision HDR and Dolby Atmos Audio, fully loaded with exclusive new and archival extras. An asphalt jungle. An urban skyline of fear. Waiting. Watching. Destroying. You're not safe anymore. To walk the streets. When every hour, 163 more people become victims of assault. You live at the mercy of the animals who inhabit the streets of every city. People who place little value on their lives, and even less on yours. You live in a country where 12 women are raped every minute, where 65 people are murdered each day. It's happening now. It's happening this minute. The police are powerless. The law is corrupt. And the courts turn them loose. Figure that's the answer. That's my judge and my jury. There is only one alternative. It's time to take a stand. Because time is running out. You're not safe anymore. Their numbers are growing. And you must wage a war to eliminate the problem. Yourself. Vigilante. So that's the trailer for Vigilante. And I told you the guy was going to talk like Vigilante. He's got a... Beat people up and take matters into his own hands. So, it, this film is interesting because it, it describes it as being similar to that of a movie like Death Wish, which is a also a vigilante justice film about a, a mild-mannered... No, I can't imagine anyone would see Charles Bronson and think he's mild-mannered looking. Uh, he seems like the type of guy who would go out and shoot someone. Uh, <laughs> while Robert Forrester, on the other hand, baby Robert Forrester, he, he doesn't seem that way. Um... <laughs> So what I find interesting about this film, so it's, it's, it's considered to be similar to that of Death Wish. Um, but what I think this film does very well, almost to the point where you, sh- I struggle sometimes to figure out what exactly the message was supposed to be in this film, is that Robert Forster doesn't go straight to um, trying to re- avenge his family. So in the film, he is, what was his job again? Um factory worker nondescript factory worker he his some of his friends what they do is they they patrol their neighborhood because they realize the police aren't doing anything so 
um, at the beginning of the film. The neighborhood there, watch. Yeah, essentially do a neighborhood watch. There's a woman who is abused at the beginning of the film, and they track down the guy because the cops aren't doing anything about it. They're like, oh, there's so many people in, in the, the city. We can't find them. They do their own police work, find the guy, and chase him down. And they are trying to keep their, their streets safe because they don't believe that people should be afraid to go out at night in their in, in their city that they, they shouldn't have to live in fear and robert forster finds that his friends are doing this and he's like i don't know how i feel about this and he's like i can't lie and say you guys aren't making a difference but i feel weird about this well his these these this roaming gang of bad guys they go out and they're fucking with some people and robert forster's wife gets involved and says hey what you guys are doing is wrong and they start some shit they come follow her home and things get crazy they actually sh- a very graphic scene of a child dying it's it's hard uh, to watch you don't actually see the kid die but it's implied pretty heavily yeah um and Robert Forster's not near a phone or anything, so he, uh, his wife couldn't get a hold of him. The cops never came out to come help, and all this stuff went down. And eventually, the the, the guy who did this is caught, but because of through through a corrupt judge and a corrupt uh, lawyer, the guy pretty much gets off. He he only has to go to jail for a couple months. It pisses the lead character Robert Forster off, and. He's thrown into contempt. He serves more jail time than the bad guy because he causes shit in the courtroom. And then you get this kind of great scene where before all this happens, he talks to his his friend who leads this coalition against these bad guys. And the guy's like, hey, we can go out there and we can get this guy and we can serve justice. And he says, it's like, yeah, but that make how does that make me any different than them? He's like, I have got a where gun. He, he I'm going out there. The I'm doing this role. stuff. And how am I different? Because then from there, I'm the one choosing why someone deserves to live or die. You know, someone parts their hair wrong, and I can just go out there and shoot them. How am I any different? That seems extreme. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's one of his examples. It's like, you know, I could go and just, I I make the decision. And he's like, what makes me any different than them? And his friend gives him a very noncommittal answer. He's like, that's what you have to figure out for yourself. And he then ends up going to jail and stews in prison knowing that he's serving more jail time than the guy that killed his his son and his yeah. wife's in a coma. And it kind of progresses from there. And I, it's it's interesting because the film is definitely an, a, an early 80s exploitation film. But I did feel like the film had something to say. It wasn't going shock value just for the shock, sake of shock value. It was extremely well made. Nice. And I do have to... You s- kind of went with a corrupt power double feature. In a weird <laughs> way, yes. Bad. Yes. <laughs> uh, corrupt power double feature handled to- very differently. This one was handled more like the Simpsons version of... Right. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This is probably my favorite unintentional double feature that we've done in the Shameless Picture Show <laughs> since Gone with the Wind and the Psycho Copper <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to that episode again recently, so when you mentioned Psycho Cop, I, I was, like, reminiscing about your, uh, you going through all of his terrible, cheesy one-liners. Yep. Uh, so, thing I, I will say, so Blue Underground is a small company. They, they only do a couple releases a year. And William Lustig, the, the creator, the uh, guy who runs, sorry, I can't talk, the guy who runs um, Blue Underground, 
he releases his own pictures because he owns the rights to them and it's easier to do. Yeah. Um, I have seen 4K releases by big studio companies that don't look as good as this film. Wow. Like, even that trailer. <laughs> that trailer is one that they did off of their cleaned up footage. That does not look like a film from the 1980s. It looks sure. a lot more new than it than it should. Um so I'm going to go into some nerdy tech specs here. The film was graded in Adobe Vision curve, meaning because there's, there's different types of high dynamic range. There's HDR10 and there's Dolby Vision. This film uses Dolby Vision, and the color was phenomenal. The black levels were phenomenal. I ran into a weird anomaly while watching the film where um, I felt like the, the, the Dolby Vision kept changing ever so slightly kind of going up a brightness a little bit and going down in brightness if i switched to hdr 10 it didn't happen i have after doing some research i found it's kind of a weird anomaly that people are running into it's very rare but i do want to at least mention it but i would say even all things considered this film is one of it's the I, i've seen clips of this film in the past and it's never looked as good as this has um it looks like a new film to me the and it has a phenomenal soundtrack by a composer named Jay Chataway. And their new surround sound mix for this film was, I'm going to say it was breathtaking. It was, it was, it was really fun to I was to enjoying to. that, like, wah pedal. Yeah. From the trailer. Oh, do yourself a favor, Nick, and just go look, look up the soundtrack. You don't have to watch the movie. Look up the soundtrack <laughs> for this movie. It is, it is fantastic. Um, so not only does it only look and sound good, but there are some new special features as well. There is an audio commentary with the co-producer and director William Lustig and co-producer and uh, Andrew Garani. Uh, an audio commentary with co-producer and director William Lustig and stars Robert Forster, Fred Williamson, and Frank Pess. Uh, and then there's a new audio commentary with film historians Troy Holworth and Nathaniel Thompson. I'm always, I'm a big fan of Troy Holworth's. Um, audio commentaries he does a great job of giving this contextual information that you sometimes don't get from the director because the director usually views it from an inner perspective he's com- the historical comment or the historian commentaries are interesting because they talk about everything else going on in the world at the time too okay and then there's a, a special feature called blue collar death wish interviews with writer richard verite star rutania alda associate producer slash first ad slash actor randy jurgensen and others then uh, an interview I really liked called Urban Western, an interview with composer Jay Chataway. Then there's you know a, 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 a new essay by uh, writer Michael Gingold. It is a phenomenal release. I recommend it. If you like this style of filmmaking from this period in time, I highly recommend it. If you're not good at violence or are not good with the suggested killing of a child, please stay away. <laughs> it is hard to watch and you don't even see it and it's hard to watch a lot of times when you don't see it it makes it harder because well, that's when your imagination can kind of fill you, in those you, gaps. you have a kid who's hiding in, a, in hiding in a shower from these these people that are storming in the house and this guy comes into the bathroom with a shotgun and then you just see the window from the bathroom get blown out and blood shoot out the window it's like you know exactly what happened yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's tough <laughs> Um, but it is still a really good film. So, but aside from that, we highly recommend. Yes, I I do highly recommend it. And do this as a double feature. See what happens. Mister Smith goes to watch. Yes. Um, well, is there anything else, Nick? Before do you want to talk about before we sign off? I, I think that'll do it. Let's end it on that really high note. 
The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The Shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.